Bro, bless the state of Pennsylvania. I'm not sure I've ever even said it before, but I'll say it again, so we'll just go with it. Greetings from the blessed state of Pennsylvania. Now, I thought this was interesting because most of us don't really have a lot of state pride, right? I know some of you are like, well, that's because we're from Pennsylvania. And while you'd probably be right, or some of you might even be thinking, Henry, that's the name my parents gave me. Some of you might be thinking, well, Henry, I'm not even from here. And I'll just have to say, well, that's fine and well, you're not from here, but you're here now. So blessed Pennsylvania it is. You know, we have no state pride. You know who have lots of state pride? I actually thought about this. Probably spent way too much time thinking about this. You know who have lots of state pride? Texans. Like, I don't know if you, if you think you know what state pride is, then you meet a Texan, right? Like, I know lots of people from Texas, and they really do love Texas. Like, I mean, really love Texas. Like, for example, I can't even think of any one of them who do not have a Texas flag. Right? Like me, I can't even name you what's on the Pennsylvania flag. I don't know what color it is. I don't know what it looks like. But Texans all have a flag. It's almost like, you know, faith, family, football flag. That's like the rules for being in Texas, right? Faith, family, football flag. And I think the order also depends on the individual Texan. But we're not here to judge anybody. I also feel like to, to most Texans, you know, like the rest of the United States, so that's all of us in the 49 other states, we're like the family that they have no desire to wish or claim, right? Like, like Texans so love Texas, the rest of us, like, we just don't count as much. It's kind of like how some of us think of Canada. <laughs> sorry, Canadians, sorry, Canadians, but it's true. You know, don't worry, though. I always say, come November, y'all might finally have a chance to have the last laugh, so there's that. So that digression was brought to you this morning. It has nothing to do with our sermon, but it was brought to you by the blessed state of Pennsylvania. I also bring you greetings from our Johnson household. Um, actually, on Friday, if you would think of and remember us, five days from now, we'll be welcoming the newest member to our tribe. You know, the doctors say it'll be another girl, and you know they're never wrong. So that will be our second girl. And since today's sermon actually is about, you know, one of the times that Jesus calls us not to fear, this whole having a second girl, it feels very apropos. You know, so apropos that I might, I said might, don't hold me to this, but I just might rescind and withdraw my future historical bid to become the first ever Liberian American pacifist pastor to join the NRA. I'm not scared of having two daughters, I'm not. I promise you I'm not scared, not scared at all. I keep telling myself, I keep saying it, maybe I'll start to believe it. But hey, Jesus said not to fear, amen? I was like, when you say amen, it's good to know y'all with me, y'all out there. Now, in the first service, I said this, only one person said it, so I'm going to let you guess who that one person is. I like when you say amen, but when y'all start saying, Lord, help him, Lord, help him, you guess who said it. Um, when you start saying that, that's when I get worried, right? But I'm not going to limit you, however the Spirit moves you, amen? amen? What a grace and privilege to be with you all this morning, though. It's good to come together, for we are indeed the body of Christ. We are indeed members of one another, amen? amen. We are one body, woven and held together by the Holy Spirit. We're called to one faith, the faith that said our God has come, that radiance has taken on skin and moved into the neighborhood to dwell among us. Christ has lived to show us how to love and please God. Jesus suffered and died, was raised from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. We have one hope, that the kingdom of God has come and is coming, and at the appointed time, Christ will come back again. Amen? Amen. It is a grace and comfort to be in this family and this fellowship this morning, for God is our Lord. God is our Father and Lord of all, that Christ Jesus is our mediator and our Savior who reconciles all things back to God, and that the Spirit is our help and our ever-strength. Amen? Amen? If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We'll also have it on the wall up here. We'll be reading verses 4 to 7. 
Here Luke records the Lord Jesus Christ saying, in verse 4 we start, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than the sparrows. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning that you so value us that you're now molding us in the spirit and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you that you so valued us that you not only created this world and made it good in your image, but when we fell from you, you so loved us, you sent your son. And Lord Jesus Christ, that you, we thank you this morning that you so value us that you came, that you took on skin, that you showed us how to love, and now you that you went to Calvary and advocate because you so value and love us. Bless you, God, this morning. Amen. I think my first ever Bible that I can remember actually reading had the words of Jesus in red. Really, I know it did because most of my reading came during, we had this 9 a.m. contemplative service, and everybody else was focusing on Jesus and the cross and, and sharing all these wonderful things, and I just read the Bible. You know, I read the little words in red. Lord, forgive me. I think he will. We had time for forgiveness. So ever since I was a child, though, I think I had this growing affinity of all of Scripture, but the words of Jesus always seemed to matter more. For me, it was like this. This is what the Savior really said. This is how the Redeemer really lived. This is how the Messiah fulfilled all the prophecies with word and tongue, with deed and in truth. The words of Jesus have always mattered more. You know, I think that's part of the reason when asked which part of the Christian tradition that I feel most at home in, I can easily answer Anabaptists. Now, most of us here this morning probably know of the Anabaptists. I mean, it is the tradition that we as Brethren in Christ were birthed in. But if you're here this morning, you're not sure who the Anabaptists are, my short and forever humble definition has always been, everything that you really like and value about Christianity, yes, that's who we've always been. I know, I know, it's a very humble definition. It's a short one, too. You can keep that one. In all seriousness, this morning... And in all of our days, we as people of the Spirit, we as the ransomed of King Jesus our Christ, we as the children of God our Father, we must always pay special attention. But we must always submit to the word of God and the words of Christ. Amen? So that is one of the reasons I love our passage this morning. Luke the physician, the evangelist, the apostle of Christ, records actual words of Jesus. And that's the thing. We as Christians are the Christ ones, are the ones who believe and live to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. The words of Christ in the word of God matters. Amen? Amen. And one of the most, I don't want to say disregarded because that seems a wee bit harsh. I also don't want to say overlooked because that seems a wee bit light. So I'll go with ignored. But one of the most ignored aspects of our Christian faith and walk with God is that we're not simply called to just heed or listen to Christ. We're not called to simply heed or listen to his commands and his teaching. No. We're also not simply called to try and to try and follow as Christ's disciples. No. No, we are called to submit. We are called to submit. Sisters and brothers, we are called to submit, submit, submit. We are called to submit to Christ in his commands and teaching. Jesus himself in the agony of Gethsemane, abandoned by his closest followers and friends after the betrayal of Judas, and yet before he was even strengthened by angels and sweating like there were drops of blood falling to the ground, begging to the Father for any other way. 
Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. That was not a plea answered by simply heeding or listening. It was not a plea answered by trying or practicing. No, it was a plea answered by submitting. Christ Jesus submitted to God our Father in the garden by saying, Yet, not my will, but yours be done. We are called to submit. We are called to submit. Sisters and brothers, we are called to submit to Christ and his commands and his teaching. Amen? Amen. So the words Christ proclaims in our passage this morning, here in Luke 12, 4-7, are words we must heed and listen to. But they are also commands we must practice and follow. But perhaps most importantly, Jesus' words here in Luke 12, 4-7, are words and teaching that we must submit, 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 submit to. You know, one of Job's friends, Eliphaz, in Job 22, one of the three who were really good, if you know the story of Job, they were really good at piling it on, right? But not really good at, say, comfort or support or love, the stuff that Job needed. One of the three friends that were really good about looking at the specks in the lives of others instead of, and, and while all the time, ignoring the planks that were in their own eyes. I hope that's not any of us this morning. Yet even in Eliphaz's foolishness, this truth is unearthed. In Job 22, he says this, submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. You hear that this morning? Let me say it again. Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity and will lay come up to his you. Words in your heart. Accept instruction. Sisters and brothers, we must heed and, sub- and listen to our Jesus. We must practice and follow our Christ. But above all else, we must submit to Jesus, his word, and his teaching. Amen? So I would argue that the words of Jesus must matter most within the word of God. That the words of Jesus must be heeded. That they must be followed. We must try and, and, and they must be practiced. But ever as important, the words of Jesus our Christ must be obeyed and we must submit to this teaching and commands. See, it is within that framework that I would like us to dwell this morning. It is in that light that we must seek the leading of the Spirit this morning. Seek his direction. Jesus said it. We must obey it. The Lord Jesus our Christ said it. We must submit to it. And I love where Jesus begins in this passage. In verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. These are words to be heeded and listened to, yes. These are words to be practiced and believed, yes. But above all else, these are words to be obeyed as we surrender and submit to Jesus Christ. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. You have to love how Jesus doesn't mince words here. There's no previewing. This is not a parable. It's not a metaphor. It's not hyperbole. No, all here, we ha- all that we have here is truth. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. You know, this is important because Jesus said it. It's important because we must surrender and submit to it. We must obey it. It's important, though, because if we're honest, for so many of us, fear dominates our lives. 
fear dominates our entirety of our beings, especially when it grips us and doesn't want to let go. You know, fear is so powerful that we have identified several fears as long-term and legitimate conditions. In this vein, people are terrified of everything from holes in the ground to flying in the sky, from germs, small spaces, thunder, lightning, and storms, dogs, insects, and other animals, open or crowded spaces, heights, snakes, spiders. And if we move outside of our diagnosed phobias, when we're being honest, we find that we also fear in our situations. What I mean by that is in our everyday scenes. Chapman University, a Christian school out in California. Whenever I say that, I think about this. For those of us who went to Christian school in Pennsylvania, it's like, what were we thinking? But Chapman University, I'm not bitter. I love Messiah College. Chapman University, a Christian school outside of California, identified these kind of fears in our situations, in our everyday scenes. They identified them as our domains of fear. They cited crime. It's explainable. Daily life. So that's everything from romantic rejection, talking to strangers, ridicule, eating in front of others. The environment, that's everything from global warming, overpopulation, pollution. The government, enough said. <laughs> Judgment by others, man-made disasters, natural disasters, personal anxieties, personal futures, and technology as all our domains of fear. We fear in our situations. We fear in our everyday scenes. In this same vein, Chapman University survey, we, we, they identified the top 10 fears among Americans in 2015. So this was really a long time ago. So of the people they surveyed, we as Americans identified that we are afraid or very afraid of these 10 things. On all the things listed was identified by 36.9% of the group surveyed all the way up to 58% of the group surveyed. So that means that anywhere from one out of three of us to nearly three out of five of us. So yeah, it's almost a guarantee that everyone here this morning will identify with not just one, but many of these top 10 fears. You want to hear the list? Yeah. Okay, you guys are more fervent. The other ones, the first service, they weren't sure. They were afraid, but we got through it. Alrighty then, let's go. Here's the Chapman University list of fears we as Americans hold on to in our everyday scenes. Credit card fraud, running out of money in the future, economic collapse, identity theft, bio-warfare, terrorist attacks, government tracking of your personal corporate tracking of your personal information, cyber terrorism, and number one, something we'd never know about in Pennsylvania, corruption of government officials. <laughs> How many of those do you identify with as a fear? How many? See, if we have fears that are diagnosed conditions, phobias. We have fears in our situations, in our everyday scenes. We carry fear in our hearts and minds and in our everyday scenes. We are fearful people in a culture of amplified fear, battling the fears deep within ourselves. You hear that? I'll say it again. We are fearful people in a culture of amplified fear, battling the fears deep within ourselves. Yet in spite of all this, in a culture of amplified fear, Jesus says to us this morning, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. 
I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. Jesus begins our passage this morning with a reminder that there is a greater and worse thing that can happen to us. There's a greater and worse thing that can happen to us than anything we can experience in this life. So sisters and brothers, do not be afraid why you are worth more. This world may kill your body, and praise God, some of us, most of us might never know that. But though this world may kill our bodies, sisters and brothers, do not be afraid why you are worth more. This world will work to kill your hearts. Again, to the early believers, your heart was your entire life and being. Heart to them was your mind. It was your body. It was your soul. It was your desire and your appetite. It was your intellect. It was your gifts, your skills, your abilities. It was your hopes and dreams. Heart was all of you. This world will work to kill your hearts. It will actively work to destroy your heart. But praise God for Jesus. Praise God for the Spirit. And praise God for the fellowship of saints. Because as the world wages war on our hearts, as the war declares and tries to destroy our entire life and being, as the world wages war on your mind, on your body, on your soul, on your desire and appetites, on your intellect, on your skills, on your gifts and your abilities, as the world wages war on your hearts, Jesus, the Spirit, and the fellowship of saints all live to proclaim do not be afraid why you are worth more. So if we're not to fear those things that grip us and the plagues that so easily ensnare us in this life, if we're not to fear a world that may kill our bodies, and if we're not to fear a world that works to destroy and kill our hearts, what is it that we should fear? Jesus' answer is not what we should fear, no. No, his answer is not what to fear. His answer is who. Who shall we fear? He continues here in Luke 12, verse 5, by saying, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus starts out by pointing to, but now he's bringing it to the forefront. What he had been foreshadowing is now seen as evident. It's now perfectly explained and brought to light. Do not fear what you can experience or might experience in this life. No, fear the giver of life. Do not be afraid, sisters and brothers, why you are worth more. Do not fear what might kill the body, no. No, fear the one who fearfully and wonderfully made your body and looks down upon you as his masterpiece, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do not be afraid, sisters and brothers. Do not be afraid why you are worth more. And do not fear this world. Do not fear this world that works to kill your heart. Do not fear when they work to destroy your entire life and being. Do not fear when they wage war on your mind, your body, and your soul, your desire and your appetite, your intellect and your gifts, gift skills and abilities. Do not fear when they wage war on your hopes and dreams. Do not fear that the world works to kill your hearts. No. Fear the author and finisher of our faith. Fear the one who's overcome the world and who promises that with him, we too will overcome the world. Amen? Do not be afraid, sisters and brothers. You are worth more. You know, Jesus unflinchingly tells his audience back then, and we, the brethren this morning, that only God is to be feared. And as the song says, and he, for he is, is great. 
Only God is to be feared because he is the one who has authority to cast us into hell. Only God is to be feared because he is the one, the only one, who is holy and righteous. Only God is to be feared because he is the only one who's forever faithful, who's forever merciful, who's forever loving. Only God is to be feared because he's the only judge whose grace and mercy we can always rely on. Amen? Do not be afraid, sisters and brothers. You are worth more. Praise God who has always loved us. Amen? Amen. He is indeed faithful. Praise God who loves us even right now. Amen? He is indeed good. And praise God who will forever love us. Amen? He is forever true. You know, this reminds me, we kind of sang some songs that alluded to this this morning, but this reminds me of David in the Old Testament. When the man after God's own heart is moved and issues a decree to count up all the fighting men in that forever struggle between trusting God and, and relying on God rather than ignoring God and trusting in our own power and ourselves and our own resources, in that forever struggle, David fails mightily here. So when the Lord's prophet Gad shows up at David's door with a word from the Lord, one of the few places I've ever found in all of Scripture where there is a great sin, but the Lord in his mercy allows the sinner to choose his consequence. God gives David three options. Three years of famine in the land. Three months of fleeing from your enemies. Or three days of plague in the land. And knowing God, and knowing of his love, and knowing of his mercy, and knowing of his grace, David answers in 2 Samuel 24, I am in deep distress, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. You see, David knew what Jesus communicates in Luke 12. To the disciples back then and we the gathered this morning, David knew that while it is only God who is fit to judge, it is also only God whose mercy is forever great. David knew that while it's only God who has the power to destroy, it is also only God whose love is so great, it's greater than anything we can hope for or imagine. So when Jesus proclaims, but I will show you whom you should fear, fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That is not a condemnation, but a saving grace, because God is merciful. That is not a verdict, but liberation because God has great compassion. That is not an indictment, but emancipation for our God is forever loving. And how can we know this? How can we know this this morning? Easy. We know it because Jesus' major thrust in this entire passage this morning is simple. Do not be afraid, sisters and brothers, why you are worth more. And Jesus says as much, doesn't he? In the last two verses of our passage this morning, in Luke 12, 6 and 7, we read, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, like every good teacher, Jesus starts with where we are, with what we already know and understand, before adding to our comprehension to get us to where he desires us to be. He starts off with something that everyone in his audience knows. Sparrows were not really valuable. Kind of like all the words that come out of Donald Trump's mouth. If I've offended you, I'm not really sorry. But, but I will say, I will say, if you like that a little too much, 
I will say, please, no, I generally feel the same way about Hillary, about Bernie, about Ted, about John. Thank God for Jesus, right? He's the only true Savior, amen? So, yeah, sparrows did not have much value. They were the cheapest items sold for poor people's food in the marketplace. They were the cheapest of all the birds. And like most of the food that may not necessarily be good for you, if you buy in bulk, if you buy in bulk, it's cheaper, right? And somehow Jesus knew this. In Matthew 10, Jesus has this passage where he says that you can buy two sparrows for the equivalent of one penny. By the time we move on to Luke 12, now he's saying, hey, if you buy in bulk, you know, you can get five sparrows for two pennies. And as I read that, I thought about this, and this is how my mind works. I thought about how, personally, I can't even tell you the price of a gallon of milk, right? Yet somehow Jesus knew the marketplace price of what the poorest people ate. Do not be afraid, you know? Jesus is you great. We are love that worth guy. more. Back to Luke 12. But back to news. So Jesus starts off with something, sparrows, that everyone knows has the least value within the context of that society. Yet also in line with Jewish thinking, Jesus makes this very standard, you know, how much more argument here. In essence, Jesus is saying, look, if God can care about something as cheap, as inconsequential as sparrows, how much more can he care for you? Women and men created in his image. The loss that he died to find the loss that he does everything in his power to bring back home again. The children, the children who can now call him Abba, Father. How much more can he care for you? If the sparrows, which are cheap and inconsequential, are cared for by God, how much more will he care for you? Sisters and brothers, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Why? You are worth more. Amen? You know, one of the most crystallizing moments where this truth was birthed in my heart and forever established in my soul, in my spirit, happened when I was about seven years old. See, my first ever experience with fear not, do not be afraid, you are worth more, happened when I was only seven years old. Now, at that time, civil war had broken out in my native Liberia. At that point in 1990, our family had been on the political fence for about a decade. See, we were part of an established elite class of former slaves from the United States. People always, when I tell them I'm African, they're like, are you really African? I'm like, I'm pretty sure I am, you know? But the whole Henry Johnson thing stumbles them. It's because we're really from 96 South Carolina. You can Wikipedia it later. It's really a place to this day, 96 South Carolina. But these former slaves had earned their freedom, and it's crazy, but the South didn't think it was a good idea to have free black people walking around. Crazy, I know. So they earned their freedom, and they sailed for Africa, and they landed in what became Liberia, and they ruled the land for 150-plus years. In 1980, this rule was ended when my mother's uncle was assassinated in his bedroom inside the presidential mansion, our equivalent of the White House. For the ensuing decade to follow, our family was systematically killed, forced into exile, or kept close and under the watchful eye of the so-called liberation fighter who had now turned the despot dictator. Funny how that always seems to happen in history. Yet we remained. My family remained because Liberia was our home. We stayed because Liberia was where our family remained. Liberia at that point was all we knew. You know, my father remained because he was naive enough to believe that he could be part of the change he wanted to see in the world. So in 1980, he pledged to the dictator who killed his wife's uncle that he would abstain from running from political office for the price of, I don't know, staying alive. Now, some people have actually brought this up to me. They're like, isn't that a moral quandary? And I'm like, here's the thing. This deal was made in 1980. 
I wasn't born until 1983. So him choosing to be alive is a good thing. Like, I'm good, you know? I wouldn't be here if he didn't make your moral quandary. So I'm glad I'm not a moral quandary. I'm glad I'm alive, right? But my dad made that deal in 1980. Anyway, my father also stayed because he believed that if we were to actually return the country to the people, stripping ourselves as a ruling class of our supremacy, but stripping the militants and, and the people with guns of their idea that we can rule by force and their supremacy. He believed that if we got down to the idea that we're sisters and brothers, we could make it work. You know, this belief caused him to turn down not one, not two, but three different violent movements to oust and become a, to, to oust the dictator. It also led him to champion an underground movement for the people and by the people. You know who his partner in crime was? Madam Ellen Johnson's Johnson Sirleaf, who in 2016 is currently wrapping up her second term as president. That was his partner in crime. Yet when she chose to financially support the war, he did not. Needless to say, when civil war broke out, the smart choice would have been to leave the country. But no, not my parents. They loved Liberia. Now, I once heard a story about how my dad would often say, let them come and fight. When they're done destroying and burning it all down, we'll lead the charge to build it back up. So as the war raged on, my parents vowed to stay. I was shuttled outside the country with my grandmother, the sister of my mom's uncle, the assassinated president. And while in exile, every now and then we would get letters from my mom assuring us that her and my father were okay. I always looked forward to these letters because they were my connection to my parents. The fact that my mother taught me to read and write made it easy for me to sort through the mail and find her letters. That and everything else was in French. But one day the letters stopped coming. As the days turned to weeks, I started to watch the worry grow on my grandmother's face. Then one night, I was awoken in the middle of the night, but I remember being startled by a light. I remember being scared. But an angel in all its glory had a message for little old me, that my daddy was going away. But my heavenly father would always show me the way. If you think you're startled this morning, imagine my Muslim grandmother's reaction. According to her religion, the last angel appearance was to the prophet Muhammad to give them the Quran. And God certainly didn't care about humans that much, much less to send his angel to a little seven-year-old. But again, this was my first ever experience with fear not. Why? Do not be afraid. Why? You are worth more. Now, after that night, I remember marking the date down on a piece of paper in my room. You know, I always tell people, my intellectual peak was like nine years old, right? Like, people are like, how do you do this when you're a kid? I'm like, it's been all downhill since nine. And coincidentally, that's when I came to America, but take with that what you will. <laughs> but I remember writing it down on a piece of paper. You know, I figured seeing an angel was quite significant. You know, then as the weeks turned into months, I became convinced that my grandmother was holding out some information. I told you I was sharp. So as mischievous as ever, I snuck into her room, I locked myself in and kept her out, and after turning the room upside down, these are being recorded, so I'm not going to tell you the discipline we did, but it's a little different in Africa, we'll say. But after turning the room upside down, I found my mother's last letter. You know, in the letter, my mother recounted the taking of my father by rebels and his impending death. But even through reading it, I held out hope, since we never got this follow-up letter, that my father maybe somehow escaped. I mean, he was the strongest dad I knew. He was the smartest guy I knew. But then my little mind started to wander. And then I realized something quite significant. The day my mom said my father was taken seemed eerily familiar. So I raced to my room, and I found that piece of paper. And wouldn't you know, 
The night that I saw an angel was the day my father was kidnapped and killed. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? You are worth more. Fear not. Do not be afraid what this life will throw at you. Why? You are worth more. Now, I wanted to close with that story because I believe that Jesus commands us here in Luke 12 that there is nothing in this life worth worrying over, that there is nothing in this life that we as the children of God, that we as the sons and daughters of the King, that we as the body of Christ, that we as members of one another, that we as the family of God woven together by the Holy Spirit, there is nothing in this life that we should be afraid of. We must not be afraid. Why? Because we are indeed worth so much more. And I love how Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. And I'll read this whole passage because I think we all need to hear this this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? So see how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Part of tension of Christianity is that we have to hold on to the idea that God's got our back so we shouldn't fear. But this life that we live is going to try to destroy us. So there's things that are going to come up that we are going to fear. But sisters and brothers, all I have to proclaim to you this morning is do not be afraid. You are worth more. Now, I think we could do well to hold on to these words of Jesus. But I think we would do even better if we were willing to submit and surrender to them. You know, I think we would do well to get into a natural rhythm. That means doing it a lot. A natural rhythm of telling each other our stories. But I think we would do better as living as the body of Christ. Living as members of one another. Living as a fellowship and a community and a family that makes room for testimony. We well that to makes room know for every That we are not to be afraid. For we are indeed worth so much more. Yet I believe this morning all my heart that we would do forever better, that we would do forever better to always hold on to who we are, God's children, and whose we are, the children of God, the sons and daughters, the ones that Jesus died for, the ones the Spirit lives within, the one the Father forever loves. Sisters and brothers, whatever this life throws at you, do not be afraid. Why? You are always worth more. Amen?
shepherd so I will not be in war you are with me so I will not fear even though I walk through the valley oh Lord you're there I know you'll be right here right here right sisters.